0: Uh, This evening's reading is taken from 2 Kings, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 19. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, May the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Simon. That was great. Some uh, not very easy words in there. So, uh, thank you for doing that one particularly. Uh, wonderful. Well, it's great to, to be speaking to you again this evening on this passage. And I don't know whether or not you've heard it before. Um, I had a little, uh, asked a couple of the people that were at the eight o'clock this morning, because we were also looking at it then, whether they had. And half of them knew the story really well and had done it as part of uh, growing up at Sunday school and uh, various other times through life. And half of them had never heard it uh, before. So it may be that one of those two things is true of you. Either way, it uh, doesn't matter. It's one of the reasons I asked Simon to read the whole of the passage. It's a little bit like a, a drama. The story continues to unfold as we, as we hear it. Uh, and I think there are three main characters in this story who I want us uh, to think about this evening. And I think each of them tells us something different and it might be that one of the characters speaks to you particularly, and the thing that that leads to. It might be, potentially for one or two of us, that all three of the characters uh, speak to you. It may be that none of the characters speak to you, and if that's the case, I hope you enjoyed listening to the talk, uh, then uh, I'm sorry about that, but then uh, mind, there's a video about halfway through, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. Anyhow... Naaman's wife's servant is the first of these characters that I want us to think about. We don't know her name. A couple of people suggested I should make one up, maybe Brenda or Betty. Uh, you can make that, use that if you would like. We have no idea what her name is. We hear that she's an Israelite, she's one of God's people, and she is taken from her home as the result of a battle. She's then sold or given into slavery uh, in Naaman's household. And I think Naaman's wife-servant, Betty, um, can teach us one of, uh, t- one of two things, potentially. The first thing is to not hold grudges. She here is prophetically following the teaching of Jesus that he has yet to give. Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 44 that we should love our neighbors, um, uh, love your enemies, sorry, and pray for those who persecute you. She has been persecuted. She has been taken from her home. It's likely her family and her friends have been killed, her home destroyed, and she has been put into slavery in this place. She has every right to not like, to hate Naaman and his wife. And yet she loves them and she points them to this healing, to to her God, to Elisha. I don't know what you're like with grudges. My family can hold a grudge like they're going out of fashion. Um, Whether it's a neighbor whose cat has pooed on the lawn far too many times, or whether it's a shopkeeper who 15 years ago shortchanged us by 50 pence, and we've never again been near that shop. My family know how to hold a grudge. And it's something that I've had to really work hard at over the years to stop myself from having that same attitude when people wronged me. No member of my family has ever been won as a result of battle and caused to go into slavery like Naaman's wife's servant was. No member of my family has as much right to hold a grudge, perhaps, as Naaman's wife's servant does. It would be lovely, wouldn't it, if God only liked the people that we like. Um, I don't know how many of you have seen the film The Shack, uh, the person that represent God as part of that film. Whenever someone else is mentioned, says, oh, I'm especially fond of that person. And about 10 minutes, 15 minutes into this conversation, Mac, the main character, says, is there anyone you're not especially fond of? And God says, no, I've not met anyone yet. God is especially fond of all of his children, regardless of whether or not we hold a grudge against them. And Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Elsewhere, he calls us to forgive. I wonder if that's something that Naaman's wife, servant, may teach us this evening. The other thing I think she teaches us is about braveness. There's another word for that, but it's gone out of my head. Bravery, thank you. (laughs) I'm going to go with braveness. I like it more. Uh, (laughs) She's incredibly brave in this story. For a servant to go to their master in any situation is brave. For them to share about God, about their God, is brave. We looked at 10.30 last week at Esther, the story of Esther, another one of our heroes, another person who was incredibly brave in their story. She went before the king in order to petition him on behalf of her people. In both of those situations, it was possible that the result of them going before them was death. Naaman could have sent his servant to death, as could the king to Esther. Um, Sometimes, when the Lord calls us to do things outside of our comfort zone, That is when wonderful things can happen. I love this picture um, here. I've always enjoyed it. I'm not sure I like the word magic, but it'll do. Um, It is often when we're called out of our comfort zone that God can do his most powerful work. If you were with us at 10.30 last week, I told this story, so forgive me for sharing it again. Uh, But a few weeks ago, I was uh, coming back from a meeting in London and was on the Tube, and I was sat next to an older gentleman And I sensed the Lord say, I want you to talk to him, and I want you to tell him something in particular. I need to let you know that this isn't something that happens very regularly to me. And what I'd like to say happened is that as soon as the Lord said those words to me, I turned to him and said, now I must tell you I have a word from the Lord. (laughs) Um, I'd like to tell you that's what happened. It's not. What happened was about a 10-minute conversation where I went to the Lord, here I am, send someone else. And I asked the Lord to bring someone else to have that conversation with that man. I asked him to, that it wouldn't have to be me, that maybe he could get the man to leave the tube at the next station so that I wouldn't have the time. All that happened was that everyone else in the carriage on a busy Friday afternoon left that carriage and left me on my own with this gentleman so that I could speak to him. So eventually I built up the courage and I spoke to him and I said what it was that I sent the Lord tell me to say. Now, he wasn't a Christian, and he was uh, very surprised someone talked to him on the tube in London, let alone talk to him about Jesus. Um, But I did what I did. He let me pray for something that was going on in his life. Now, I don't tell you that story so that you can all sit there and bask in my braveness. I'm using that word again, I don't care. It's um, not for the purpose of me telling you that story. The purpose of me telling you that story is twofold. Firstly, because I'm human, and like every other human, I very nearly didn't share what I sensed the Lord telling me to do. I very nearly stayed within my comfort zone and didn't step out. Sometimes we can be so afraid to do these things. But the second reason I share that story is because nobody died. It was unlikely that anyone would die in that situation. I wasn't in the same place as Naaman's wife's servant. I wasn't in the same place as uh, Esther was, as we thought about last week. Sometimes God calls us out of our comfort zone to share what he has. Now, God calls us to share his good news. It says in Matthew's gospel at the end, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It doesn't say some authority has been given, it doesn't say go out and make disciples of some of the nations to some of the, at some of the time when you feel just slightly brave enough. It doesn't say that sometimes I'm with you. It says go out and make disciples of all nations. I am always with you to the end of the age. Maybe Naaman's wife's servant also teaches us to be a bit braver and to step out of our comfort zone. So that's Naaman's wife, uh, servant. Now I want to think about Naaman himself. And I think the principal lesson that Naaman can teach us is about humility. And for this, this is that we got to the video. So if you've fallen asleep, wake up now. Uh, this is the video that I want to just show you. This is from The Apprentice. Uh, I'm sorry if you really don't like the show, show. It's a bit of a secret uh, pleasure in our household. We really enjoy it. Uh, and um, uh, this is from about five
2: series ago. So just watch this together. I'm the best. I'm the best social worker in the world. I'm the best social work consultant in the world. No one, there's nobody better than me. Nobody. Nobody. I've, nobody. Nobody, people don't even come half as good as I. Not, never. I've never come across anybody who's as good as me. Very few people in the world have ever done social work in the Arctic, been the only social worker in the Arctic. And, and I did an excellent job of doing that. Lord Sugar would love me. I'm the be- I mean, what's there not to love? I'm extremely good at, I'm the best at what I do. And I, and I deliver, that's the number one thing. You know, there's people who can talk all, all these bits and bobs, but I deliver. I deliver day in, day out. I, I can deliver in minus 50, I can deliver it in, in, in plus 10. I can deliver in any environment. If we went to Mars right now, I'd find a way, to, I would find that way to be excellent. I'm constantly told by my colleagues about how they say to me, how excellent, uh, how excellent I am, and all the work that I do is used as an example. And to win, I'm going to do anything, anything it takes. I already know I'm going to win. I know. Uh, you may be surprised to hear that he didn't win. Um,
1: <laughs> oh, well, I absolutely love that video. My favourite line is, um, uh, what was it? Uh, People can talk all those bits and bobs. I don't know what bits and bobs are, but anyway, never mind. Uh, If you happen to know Stephen, would you apologize to him? I've talked about humility before and used this video, and I will continue to use it until the day I die, uh, because I just think it's a fantastic uh, example of what humility is not, perhaps. Um, I don't think we're alone in this, actually. Jess and I were on holiday a couple of years ago, and she was outside a shop and started laughing uncontrollably. It doesn't happen very often with my wife. And she said, I'll be back in a moment, went in, and came out with this plaque. I've got a picture of it on the screen. It says, I'm not arguing, I'm simply explaining why I'm right. Um, for some reason, she thought that was funny. I just um, agree with it wholeheartedly. So uh, anyway, never mind. I don't think you need me to tell you that that video isn't what humility is, that this plaque probably isn't what humility is, and Naaman's response to Elisha in this story isn't what humility is. Most of us look at the way that Naaman responds to Elisha's command to go and wash in the Jordan and go, that's a proud response. That's not a humble response. But there are a number of things which humility is not as well, which some of us do confuse. One of them, particularly for me, has been a difficulty, and that humility and self deprecation are not the same thing. God has made each and every one of us, He has given us specific skills and a specific purpose. We're not to dislike those or even to just pretend to dislike those because it feels a bit awkward when people congratulate us or thank us for the things that we do. In the same shop where Jess bought this from, there was another plaque that said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. I quite like that sentiment. It sort of explains what I'm getting at. The other thing that humility is not needed to do is to over-spiritualize it, if I'm honest. Um, I love this story. I think I've told it before. Sorry if I have. Uh, But there was a, a, a conference going on, like New Wine, for example, and a worship leader on it. And he came down from the stage, and the conference leader said, Do you know what, George? That was amazing. That was the best worship I have ever been in. You really led us into God's presence. It was the most fantastic worship. And George said, Oh, no, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. And the conference leader said, well, it wasn't that good. Um, (laughs) We don't need to over-spiritualize these things. Humility is knowing God's plan for our life and knowing our part in that plan, knowing the gifts and the skills that he's given us for that plan. Naaman's wife's servant knew her part in this story. She knew the plans that God had and what she needed to do. The other person that knew this is our third character, Elisha. Elisha knew that submitting to God's will is what true humility looks like. Just think about our story for a moment. Why is it that Elisha sends a servant out to meet Naaman? Why is it that Elisha tells uh, Naaman to go and wash in the smelly Jordan seven times? Couldn't uh, Couldn't Elisha have come out himself and met him? Couldn't he have prayed as Naaman was expected put his hand on him and prayed for him just think about the context a little bit here if Prince Charles came to our front door and said I would like John to in that house to come out and pray for me and if John were to send someone else instead how do you think Prince Charles would feel about that it's similar Naaman was a big deal it's the big passage begins by telling us that this was not a small thing that Elisha did by sending out. His, one of his servants instead. Why did he do this? Well, the passage doesn't tell us explicitly, but there is only one reason that we can think of, and that is that God told him to do it. God. Try that sentence again. Naaman, again here, was prophetically following the teaching of Jesus before Jesus had taught it. He says in John 5, verse 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. If Jesus can only do what the Father tells him to do, if Elisha can only do what he sees the Father doing and what the Father tells him to do, how much more do we need to rely on the Father's voice in order to be effective in our ministry? This means we need to be able to hear God's voice, of course. And if that's something that you struggle with, then let me please encourage you to come along to our Living Free course. We're starting in October, October the 10th. We'll look in a couple of sessions particularly on how to hear God's voice more clearly as part of those. This also means that when we pray for somebody or with somebody, we need to pray as the Lord leads. Ask him to lead us in our prayer. We need to know that we are people who are reliant fully on God. Elisha was fully reliant of God. Of course, he could have said to God, no, I'm terribly sorry. Um, I know that you've told me to send a servant out. And you know you've told me to send that guy down to the river. But actually, this guy's really a big deal. So I'm going to go and do it myself. hope that's all right. I'm not sure how well that would have gone for Elisha, if I'm honest. I'm fairly sure that the Lord told him to do that for a particular reason. We need to do the same to follow God's leading in our lives. Um, Jonathan will have talked about Hudson Taylor here about a billion times, I'm sure. He's related to Tim Trainer, just a small factette. Uh, there we are, he's sat over there with blonde hair. Uh, he's very nice, get to know him if you don't know him already. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about Hudson Taylor, that was just a fun fact. Um, one of Hudson Taylor's contemporaries I want to talk about is a guy called George Muller, who you may have heard of. He's based, uh, he was based in Bristol, uh, and, he, and the Lord's Set up a number of orphanages and schools in Bristol. His, every single day he relied on the Lord. One particular day he woke up and there was no food in the pantry and no milk in the fridge and nothing to feed the 50 or so children that were in the orphanage that day. He got all the children together around the breakfast table and he said simply, Lord, we thank you for what you will provide for us this day. As soon as he'd finished praying, the doorbell went and the baker was there. And the baker said, you know, I woke up at 2 a.m. this morning and I sensed you really needed this bread. I hope it's helpful. And he went, oh, thank you very much, I'll put that over there. Uh, and as he did so, the doorbell went again, and it was the milkman. And the milkman said, my cart has broken down, I need to get rid of all this milk in order to fix it. Could you by any chance use it here in your orphanage? And the milkman, George Muller went, oh, thank you very much, i take it that way. And, you know, that's not a one-off story of George Muller's life. That was every single day he relied on God and knew that God was the one who led One of the things I absolutely, this is an aside, one of the things I absolutely love about George Muller's story is that before he became a Christian, his principal sin habit was one of financial mismanagement. He was known for ripping people off and for stealing their money. When he became a Christian, God turned what had turned him away from God around on its head and made him into the most reliant person uh, that I know of. I love that. Fact, God changes lives. It's wonderful. But George was just a small part of the story in those children's lives. Yes, he was brave enough to step outside of his comfort zone, but he only did what the Lord told him to do. Naaman's wife's servant was just a small part in this story, but had she not have been brave and gone forward and talked to her boss, then Naaman wouldn't have known about Elisha and wouldn't have been healed. Similarly, Elisha is a relatively small part in the story. It wasn't Elisha that healed Naaman. It was God that healed. One of the things they ask you uh, when you apply to be a vicar in Coventry Diocese, and probably one of the reasons why they may not give me a job, um, is to name three people who you have brought to the Lord. Now, when they ask me that question, which they will in a couple of years' time, um, I'm going to take issue with that question, if I'm honest, because what they want me to say is, you know, I was sat in a coffee shop, and across the road I saw a chap who looked terribly disdained and forlorn, and I went to him and I said, do you know the Lord? And he said, no. And I said, well, let me tell you about him. And that chap is now serving as our church warden. And then three days later, I went and met a woman outside of Costa Coffee. And she looked very sad. And I said, do you know the Lord? And she said, no. And then four days later, she came to the Lord. And now she's leading worship in our church. Those are the sorts of stories they want me to give um, in response to that. Now, that does happen. That does absolutely happen. The Lord often leads us to speak to people and talk to them about him. And sometimes those people will come to him. I think more often we are the smaller parts in people's stories. A bit like Naaman's wife's servant, who was a massive part in one sense in Naaman coming to the Lord. But what she did was very small. So our three characters then, Naaman's wife's servant teaches us that we need to perhaps to forgive more easily. She also teaches us that we need to be brave more often. Naaman teaches us that we need to perhaps realign our understanding of humility. And Elisha teaches us that we need to remember that it's all in God's power and God's strength that we do these things. Finally, I think God has a purpose for each and every one of us. His purpose is clear here for for Naaman's wife's servant and for Elisha in Naaman's story. I'm sure he has that same purpose for us in other people's stories if we will be willing to listen to him and to follow his leading. Will you stand with me as I pray? Just going to give us a moment of quiet to come before the Lord and to ask which particular part, Lord, we ask, what particular part of this story this evening do you want to speak to us about? Are there people that we need to forgive? Are there areas in our lives where we need to be braver? Is our understanding of humility disjointed? Do we need to rely more on your power? Just have a moment of quiet to do that.